Well, good evening. Welcome to our study uh, in Romans again this evening. We're already down to chapter 14 and going to be spending uh, some time this evening in looking at that entire chapter. But before we do that, I thought it would be good and right for us to just uh, join our hearts in, in praying, not just for the study that we share together tonight, but also to continue to pray for just the situation in our country. Uh, I'm sure many of you have continued praying since uh, we did on Monday night as we gathered together as a church. Wonderful, wonderful experience to see so many of Central's uh, members just gathering together uh, on a Zoom prayer meeting. But let's do that again tonight. Unfortunately, on this particular uh, program, it's a, it's a one-way message. It's only me that can be speaking at this point in time. But uh, won't you join with me as we unite our hearts and come before God's uh, throne of grace uh, in prayer. Lord, again, we, we come and, and we do so as those who understand that we need to keep knocking, that we need to be persistent. And Lord, even thinking of that scripture that tells us we ought to pray without ceasing, and there is a, an urgent issue before us and uh, coming before you tonight, Lord, knowing uh, your nature, God who is kind and uh, filled with compassion. And Lord, even the demonstration of the gospel in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Lord, coming not as those who have merits to plead our cause of our own, but coming as those who are recipients of your grace, those who have experienced your gracious hand of mercy, even when we did not deserve it. And Lord, as a country, we come. And it's hard to speak on behalf of everybody, but, but we know, Lord, that we all have sinned. We all do fall short of your glory apart from your grace. And thanking you again for uh, that gift uh, of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And, and Lord, as we come as your children, uh, praying for this context, we pray that there would be a, a, a lowering of this uh, lawlessness and, and rather that there would be an upholding of the law. And Lord, I'm thinking particularly tonight as we pray for those who uh, want to act without any thought of implication or, or consequence and, and merely... Uh, reaching out or, or grabbing what, what is available. Lord, I do pray that you would work in our consciences, uh, even by your Spirit. And, and, and we remember that uh, Scripture, you're telling us that you uh, would send your Spirit to convict the world of, of sin and, and righteousness and judgment. And so, Lord, we do pray for peace in our society. Uh, we do pray, Lord, for those who are struggling in poverty uh, we, we pray that there would be a greater wisdom in leadership, that there would be uh, bringing about of a, a more vibrant economy so that there would be more people able to participate in, in meaningful jobs. And Lord, these are things that we bring to you, uh, praying for mercy uh, for us and, and even to us. Pray for those in the leadership positions, whether it be in the law enforcement branches of government, whether it be in the oversight of cabinet or the president himself, we uh, commend them to you. And Lord, praying also that uh, you would overrule and, and even, Lord, intervene, bringing about uh, wise action 
uh, in this context that we find ourselves in. And then, Lord, we do pray that you would give to those who feel scared uh, just a sense of your presence, knowing that you are with them. Uh, Help us all to remember that you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in our day of need. And Lord, as we continue with life, just day by day, give us all that we need, we pray. Pray for the provision of food, for the opening of roads, uh, for the free movement of people, uh, not fearing for their lives. And so, Lord, as we pray for the country, we turn now also to pray just for this time that we spend together in, in this chapter 14 of Romans. And a relevant chapter, Lord, to the way we live out our lives in the community of the church. And, and I do pray that you would help us, Lord, to be teachable, uh, not always to uh, be stubborn and, and willing, Lord, to learn and to change and to be sanctified, Lord, more and more by your Spirit. And so pray, we pray this in, in your name, and Lord, that you would be exalted amongst our nation, we pray. Amen. Right, so with that, uh, let's now move on to chapter 14 and, and Romans. It's a, quite a long chapter. We can look at the entire chapter, uh, not in detail in every verse, but let's see how we go. And I do, do trust that the study would be helpful to us. Just as a body... Uh, We work together, we minister together, there's some sense in which we live together, uh, working together for the sake of the gospel. And so let's learn uh, from this uh, letter that Paul writes to the Romans. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of, uh, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every t- tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food, <coughs> excuse me, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. There's a lot for us to consider in that passage. I'm sure, however, you noticed that there was quite a lot of uh, repetition uh, of particular themes. And uh, we're going to try and pick up on some of those in the study. Do you want to just introduce the study by describing a situation that occurred in our church some years ago, in fact, some time ago, uh, getting to the end of the service, standing up to sing the last hymn. Uh, there was a certain person who came in uh, to the church at that particular time, uh, finding a seat, uh, standing behind somebody who had a handbag, and uh, totally engrossed and uh, worshipping uh, the song that was being sung. Uh, this person didn't join in, it didn't seem like it, but rather leaned over the pew and searched through the lady's handbag and helped himself to her purse, subsequently leaving the building. Well, it was not long afterwards when the lady discovered that her purse was missing and others uh, noticed what had happened. And there was a gathering around in great support and sympathy of the lady that had lost her purse. People rallying around her as a victim. Uh, there was certainly uh, every effort to try and encourage her and uh, stand with her in the particular loss of her purse that day. Now, my point of giving that illustration is simply this, is that there was no need among us as a people of Central Baptist Church on that particular day to urge and plead for people in the congregation to be united standing together against theft. Everybody agreed that it was a despicable thing to do. We were of one mind. We were of one accord. And, of course, upset with the the, the um uh, upset that this person had been a victim of theft. Now, the principle I'm trying to illustrate or demonstrate by using that illustration is that we Christians and us at Central Baptist Church spontaneously, enthusiastically, we welcome and unite with others when the issues before us are clearly uh, moral or uh, godly, and there are issues that are undisputable uh, in terms of what is taught in the Bible. There aren't any faction groups at Central, I don't think, that will develop uh, for or against uh, uh, one group for murder and, and another group against murder. We're all against murder because we know it's one of the Ten Commandments. We know that life is sacred. We know that this is precious uh, to God. 
we aren't going to stand up and, and form a group of, of people who are going to be supportive of adultery or, or idolatry. We, we understand that there are clearly revealed moral issues in the Bible. God has spoken to it. God has determined that the, this is right and something else is wrong. And it is easier for us as a church because we do identify as a church uh, known as, as people of the book. We take seriously what God has revealed and what God has said and what God has given. And so when it comes to clearly revealed issues of morality, we agree. We stand together for the sake of righteousness. We want to uphold holiness. We want to honor God in what is pleasing to him. Some things are clearly right and clearly or clearly wrong. Most of us will rally together to support, to do what is right, or not to do what is wrong. But that's not the issue before us in the passage tonight. It isn't that easy when it comes to lesser, could we call them neutral issues, or preferred issues, issues of preference. Again, I want to... Uh, used an illustration many, many years ago, a uh, little church in the 70s that I belonged to. I was a teenager back in those days. And uh, my first encounter with this particular challenge of differing opinions on preferences that uh, caused somewhat of a disturbance uh, in the church at that time. It happened on one Sunday morning and uh, two was it three, I can't remember, young men came into church not wearing shoes. Now, don't forget, this is the 70s, and it was, uh, it was common practice to be very smartly dressed in a collar and tie, nicely polished shoes uh, coming to church. Well, these young men arrived at church. They didn't have shoes, and, and, and for some people... <laughs> the, the seriousness of this kind of action uh, felt in, fell into the category of the unforgivable sin. And, uh, and as you can understand, my perspective as a teenager back in those days, there was definitely a polarizing. There was a, a, a separation of thinking and responses of, of, of what should be done, how should we respond to this kind of thing in the church. There were those who felt that these young upstarts should be immediately marched out of the church and, and told that what they were doing was uh, uh, blasphemous and, and sacrilege. And, and so in their view, uh, these young men had defied uh, God's holy place. There were others. There were others who felt differently. They thought that it would be best to reach out to these young men and welcome them, extend a loving hand to them as visitors and strangers, even though they did not have shoes on. Now, my point is simply this, is that in an instant, a church can find itself separated and polarized or even fragmented into two groups over what really is a preferred issue, an issue that is not clearly revealed uh, in the Bible. In an instant, in a case like that, the church could be uh, plunged 
into an awkward state of disunity. Uh, I don't remember all that happened after that, but uh, I can only imagine that that kind of situation can generate a lot of heat by the two factions, uh, fingers being pointed at each other, suspicion becoming uh, prevalent, and 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 it just a distraction, a distraction from worship and gospel ministry. Well, that kind of situation arose in the church of Rome. And our first point this evening is I want to look at the context and just asking the question, what was the actual problem in Rome? What is it that Paul is addressing writing this particular chapter? What is he uh, focusing on? Well, the church membership in Rome consisted of locals. They were the Romans, uh, Gentiles, I guess we would call them. And then there were those who were Jews. And immediately you can understand, reading from the rest of the Bible, that you have two different cultural groups, two different backgrounds, two different families of origin, two different, two entirely different cultures. And so let's have a look and see. Some of the Jews, uh, they had decided in that congregation that they would not eat meat. Now they had reasons for that. Their, their, their decision was based on the conviction that they could not be sure in Rome that the meat that was sold in the market had been slaughtered and been prepared in accordance with the requirements of Moses. They didn't know. They weren't sure. So instead they thought, well, I just won't eat meat. And for a similar reason, they would not drink wine. The wine, in their view, was associated with drink offerings to other gods, to lesser gods. We know an example from the Old Testament where this kind of decision, remember, was made by Daniel. And uh, sometimes we really uphold Daniel as a great example. But Daniel, immersed into a pagan culture in the Babylonian capital, he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Again, because of its association with foreign gods, foreign religious practice. And so these Jewish converts, having become Christians, struggled with the questions, should I as a Christian rather avoid ritual contamination and please God? I'll do without meat if it means that God is going to be pleased with me. Shouldn't they continue to submit to the authority of the Torah, the Old Testament, the law, and avoid the meat and wine associated with false gods? Shouldn't they continue also to observe the Jewish holy days? That's the one group. There's another group. The Gentile converts, the locals in Rome, perhaps even others who had come in from other cities and towns. They did not believe that they were obligated to submit and to follow the Torah. They believed themselves to be liberated no longer bound by ritualistic practices and special holy days. Well, it couldn't have taken long. It probably didn't take very long. And there is this awkward, this unity emerging in the congregation of the church in Rome. Fingers pointing, tongues wagging, judgments forming. 
and in all of that hurts growing. The body of the church being fragmented. The main thing in ministry, no longer the main thing, there's a, an extraordinary effort and uh, preoccupation with these different thoughts on preferred issues. Which brings me to my next point, and it's a question then, is this challenge a potential problem at Central Baptist Church? It's one thing talking about the church in Rome that existed more than 2,000 years ago, but what about 2021, uh, the church that exists here in Pretoria, the Baptist Church in Arcadia? Especially, I want to speak to you, but but it, it goes beyond that to any congregation at all. Now, we at Arcadia don't just have two different cultures, Jews and Gentiles. We don't have two groups with two backgrounds in our church, but many, many more. Depending on when you count, uh, I've counted my, myself uh, in certain seasons. We've, have, we've had over 25 different cultures, different uh, people from different uh, countries and, and, and language groups uh, in our uh, congregation and, and not only culture groups but also theological positioning. Not everybody has exactly the same theological position. Some are more conservative and others are more moderate and some are more Calvinistic and others are more Arminian and some are younger and some are older. Did you get the idea? You, you have this conglomeration of people with different views, different cultures, different opinions and it, it could be a recipe for disaster. There have to be all sorts of opinions and preferences on issues, and this is the point, on issues that are not clearly defined in the Bible. The Bible does not speak to the issue whether we should sing hymns that were mostly written in the 17th and 18th and perhaps even the 19th century, or should we sing contemporary songs. And there are people who have differing views. Remember the discussion about some people preferring pews and other people preferring chairs. We went through a season some years ago where we had a debate on tires and jackets and whether these need to be worn by uh, those who participated in any kind of serving capacity, whether it be taking up the offering or serving communion. Those who believed it was not necessary. The others who believe that they ought to go to two services on a Sunday. Some people don't watch television. Other people do. Some people have a glass of wine and uh, don't mind alcohol. Others uh, don't have a glass of wine. And, and so it goes. So it goes. There's so many differences. Some, some people say let's have English services and others say let's mix uh, with other languages. Is there potential or awkward disunity at Central? Most definitely. Most definitely. If we don't respond uh, in the right and godly way, in a humble way to these kind of issues, there definitely, definitely can be the potential for an explosion that will shatter, has the potential of shattering our church and fragment, fragmenting it into pieces. So important question, just put the slide up on the screen that I want us to consider tonight from this passage. How then do we guard the unity and sincerely welcome one another in spite of our differences? 
Well, God has, I think, clearly spoken in this particular passage and has a word to every one of us regarding preferred issues. To those who think of themselves or seen by others as weak, that would be the one group, and I'll seek to define that in a minute. And then there are those who see themselves and perhaps even seem to be strong on on the other side of, of the table. We could put them into different categories. Some people would say, oh, yes, some people are more spiritual and some people are unspiritual. Some people are more mature and some people are immature. That, that's the way we kind of uh, characterize uh, people who have different opinions uh, to us. Well, very importantly, I want to uh, just say a word about weak and strong. Weak means that there are some among us, some of us, whose faith, whose belief does not allow or enable us to do certain things. Okay? Now what about strong? Strong, whereas strong means that there are those of us whose faith or belief allows or enables them to do more things. Now very interestingly, as I read this passage, God is not rebuking the weak with a slap on the hand and patting the strong on the back. That's not what you're going to find in this passage, which is somewhat surprising. I think our human approach would be, man, let's get rid of the weak. Let's all become strong. Let's, let's, let's rebuke the weak and commend the strong. That's not what God does at all. The emphasis here is not that weak equates to immaturity. That's a mistaken interpretation. And neither should we see strong as equating to maturity. Instead, he has a strong word of exhortation to both the weak and the strong. And so as a category and a next point in this study, a word from God to those who are considered as weak. The so-called weaker man has his principles. We know them. Uh, he has strong convictions and, and uh, uh, on this and, and on that and, and on, on outward living, on, on certain things being right and, and certain things being wrong. In our passage, as I said earlier on, uh, he does not eat meat, uh, does not drink uh, wine. He only eats vegetables and he holds certain days holy and special. Now again... How does that apply to us? To get again, to, to get specific, there's certain strong convictions that certain people among us have. Some will say, I go to church twice on a Sunday. It's my conviction that, that, that I ought to go to church both morning and evening. Others will say, I do not drink alcohol at all. Some will insist on singing hymns. Uh, only others insist on a certain dress code uh, suitable uh, perhaps in a in a culture that uh, we have grown up in and perhaps uh, come from some will say they will not watch movies uh, some will refuse to shop on Sundays and 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 so the list goes on now here's the problem we who have beliefs that restrict our behavior in certain ways tend to be quick to condemn those who are not like us. So if 
I don't drink alcohol. And I see another Christian drinking alcohol. There's a tendency very easily to look down my nose and, and at that person as being less than spiritual. It's interesting to note that Paul here shows that both the weak and the strong are commended in their particular convictions, in spite of their different views honoring the Lord. Have a look at verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Do you get the picture? There's a commendation, both the weak and the strong, with their different views, have a God-centeredness in what they do. Verse 7, for, some, uh, for none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. Now, do, you get, do you get the idea? The purpose, therefore, in the approach of your conduct, whatever that choice of conduct is on preferred matters, is to be Christ-centered. Why do you not drink alcohol? Or why do you drink alcohol? Why do you want to go to church twice on a Sunday? And, and or why do you want to go to church only once on a Sunday? Why will you dress in a certain way? It, it, the, the reason needs to be a Christ-centered, a God-centered answer, not a self-centered indulging of the sinful nature. And therein lies a very fine line because so often we hide behind uh, doing things for God. Meanwhile, it's only a self-indulgent action. So God's intention here is not to convince all Christians to have the same opinion on non-essential issues. That's not the intention of the passage. He encourages instead personal convictions. Each one, verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Why do you do what you do? What has led you to do what you do? Can you articulate your conviction? So God's concern here is to address the heart and the attitude. Those who have certain restrictions in their behavior toward those who are more liberated in their behavior. And so we ask ourselves, and I ask myself, and leading the study tonight, I ask you the question, what attitude do you have towards those who think differently to you and act differently to you on preferred uh, issues, on, on uh, preferential issues? Well, there's certain things we need to realize just to help us reach the right kind of conclusion. Before we jump to conclusions about other people who are different to us, we need to see, again, uh, just the usefulness uh, in application that you are not their master. You're not the other person's master. He's your brother. He's your sister. And he's reached different conclusions to you, but still belongs to Jesus Christ. God has welcomed him. If you have a look at the third verse, he has welcomed him. Both the one who eats and the one who abstains. So outwardly, they may, have, they may be manifesting different actions, different forms. The shell is different, but inwardly, inwardly, they are the same family. Both are believers. Both are justified by faith. Both are recipients of mercy. 
Both are saved, not by works. God is their Lord and Master. Not you. Not me. Have a look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And we... And, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We stand before God, each of us, accountable to him. But secondly, not only you're not his master, you're not their judge. You see, if Christ be the master now, we also need to understand that he shall be the judge of all actions and attitudes in the last day. Again, verse 4. On that day, God will expose everything. Reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And I think we need to be quite honest here in that it's very, very difficult. In fact, it's probably impossible for me to be able to know your motives, or for you to know and understand my motives. Why do I do what I do? We can discuss it and it probably is a good, a good opportunity to have fellowship and, and discuss it, uh, some of these things together. We cannot know each other's motives. I don't know what you do. I don't know why you think the way you do. There may be good reasons for that. God knows. God will disclose. So if those who are weak ought to hear the word of God and resist jumping to conclusions about those who are more liberated, what about those who are considered strong? Now we move on to the next uh, section, a word from God to those who are considered strong. Remember going out uh, to one of the campsites near uh, Kruger National Park, and we were staying there, and there were these, I don't know what you would call them, but literally hundreds of clusters of bats, and it was scary, didn't like these bats, but we, we inquired, I inquired, and, and, and well, why, why do they have these bats? Well, I learned something that I didn't know, that a bat consumes literally thousands, thousands of mosquitoes in a day. Now, why is that? Well, a bat is stronger than a mosquito. A bat is bigger than a mosquito. And so thinking about strong and weak, in a similar way, not only does strong point to greater liberty in lifestyle, but strong also points to the possibility or the ability to injure or to destroy the weak. That's not something we want to do. It is possible for one Christian to hurt another. Another point then in our study, just as an, a heading, avoid wounding the weaker brother and sister. That's something we can learn and that's something we certainly can do and be sensitive to in the life of the church. Men and women of liberty. Those who consider themselves strong, you are to show your strength in gentleness, by gentleness, 
and your freedom by self-sacrifice and not self-indulgence. You do this by respecting the conscience of the weak. And I perhaps have to need to say that again. You do this by respecting the conscience of the weak. Refusing, refusing to see your brother or sister wounded. And you say, how? Well, by a needless, a needless exhibition of freedom. Refusing to humiliate them in any way. Romans 14 verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Just to see each other as beneficiaries of those uh, that Christ gave his life for, that he suffered for in that excruciating, uh, God-forsaken experience of uh, death on the cross. If, if, if Christ loved him or her enough to die for him or her, should we not love him or her enough not to wound the brother or sister in their conscience? Secondly, avoid being a stumbling block to the weaker brother and sister. You see, we can get stubborn. And, and yes, if we are stubborn, and if your and my stubborn insistence to eat meat or to drink wine or refuse to honor the Lord's day or to sing choruses or to sing hymns is, not just, a, is, is, is just about challenging the weaker person's conscience and peace of mind, we can destroy that person. Surely it's better to sacrifice liberty for the sake of another soul. Verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. And I know I've probably said this before, but I do want to urge, just be sensitive, especially to those who are alcoholics. Alcoholism is a terrible, terrible disease. We have had and we have among us brothers and sisters who have a, a struggle with alcohol. Why, why? Why would anyone who has any sensitivity and love for the body of Christ insist on parading their freedom to indulge in their glass of wine? You see, if you consider yourself strong, don't crush and destroy the weak is what God is saying. We are to avoid being a stumbling block to anyone. There's a greater priority for us in the body. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, and in this particular context, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is true, life is not ultimately about food and drink, it's about the greater blessings of justification by faith and peace with God and rejoicing in the hope that of God's glory of, and, and, and all that which the Holy Spirit gives himself uh, to us for. Well, let me conclude. In the light of the challenge to the weak uh, who stand over the strong in condemnation, which is also wrong, and I think I've said that, and the challenge to the strong not to crush the weak, verse 19, let us 
pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's what we want to see. A united body, an edified body, even if it means I need to take a step back. And I can say, looking back now for more than 40 years, I thank God for those people who back in the day, in that little church, reached out to those young men. We saw them come to faith. We saw them follow Jesus, bringing their families later to the church as well. They were rebels at first, like all of us, rebels, sinners, but not long. And they were part of the church, having seen their sinful hearts and receiving forgiveness. How sad I think it would have been if they'd simply been marched out and rejected and destroyed. Instead, love governed the reactions of those that really counted in those days. And may that be so among us at Central Baptist as well. Well, that's the end of the study, and, and uh, I do think this is a great subject for discussion in a group. So if you are able to, to gather in a group via Zoom, or perhaps even in your own home with just uh, friends, a uh, couple of questions I have put together, and they are on the screen. You can take a photograph with your phone and uh, uh, use these questions as a guide just to reflect again on the study and uh, have a good discussion. Uh, finding out some of the preferred issues among each other in your group. But let me close for us in a word of prayer. Lord, may love govern our actions and even your love shed abroad in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Give us much patience for each other. Lord, we can be so different. And also, Lord, I confess in myself can be so stubborn. And I pray instead for a tender heart concern for others, concern for salvation, concern, Lord, that we would be a body united in our desire to please and to honor you. So continue with us, Lord. Give, us, give to us a good night's rest, we pray. And, and Lord, lead us in all things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you once again, and God bless you.